ho, 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 everybody. Or as Alan Rickman in Die Hard said, her, her, her. It is a Christmas edition of the Sports Experience Podcast. I am your host, Dom DiTola, with my co-host, Chris Quinn. And today, because we have a little holiday-themed episode action, uh, we decided to look at one of the most exciting and also longest game in NFL history, which was played on Christmas Day, 1971, the AFC Divisional Playoff in Kansas City between the Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, this game was wild. Oh, and on yeah. Christmas, to to top it off, something that I, right off the bat when they scheduled this game, uh, the people in Kansas City were like, we don't know if people are going to come out. And then... The whole stadium is packed. The whole stadium and everybody, as soon as they scheduled it, they were just like, yes, we're ready for this. So <laughs> yeah, this game was great. No, I mean, it it's started a 4 o'clock p.m. game, 47 degrees, perfect football weather. You know, not really any wind going or clouds in the sky, just like a regular Kansas City winter day, perfect for football. And you had two teams kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum starting to line up against each other. Yeah, well, we were talking about this. It's almost this game is like uh, one dynasty dying and one dynasty becoming alive. It's interesting because the Chiefs for this whole... since the merger happened, we're like the AFL team. Yeah, and even into the AFC. I mean, 1969, only two years prior, they had managed to snag a wild card spot, and they went all the way to and won the Super Bowl in New Orleans against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, which I found interesting that this was their first uh, home playoff game. Yeah, they I, were I wouldn't have on guessed the road. that. Yeah, yeah like because in '69 they first went to New York and beat Broadway Joe, and then beat uh, the Raiders in Oakland, yep. which is always a bloodbath of a game between those two teams. Which but, I love. You're right. That is always. They almost don't give a shit about the score in that game. They're just like, "Is he hurt? Let's know, go." But their team at this time. It's still a lot of the core guys from the AFL, so they're pretty old at this point. Uh, Lenny Dawson is 36, their Hall of Fame quarterback. Yep. The guys on the defensive side of the ball, like uh, Bobby Bell, Buck Buchanan, Jim Lynch, Emmett Thomas, those guys are getting kind of long in the tooth. All of their Hall of Famers are really at the twilights of their career. Yeah, and I mean, in this game, I had talked about it before, there were six Hall of Famers for the Chiefs, Six future Hall of Famers for the Dolphins, both coaches, Hank both. Stram and Don Schuler in the Hall of Fame. And also, interestingly enough, he was, I think, their scout at the time, but he was later general manager for the Redskins, and he was general manager when he took the Chargers to the Super Bowl. Uh, Bobby Bethard was part of the Dolphins organization. I didn't know that. That's a, that's a great one in there. I love that. Yeah, 15 guys who were in Canton um, had something to do with this game. Yeah. Um, Miami, though, unlike Kansas City, they have a young team. So they were the AFL's first expansion franchise in 1966. They have kind of a rough go of it at the beginning, like most expansion franchises do. Yeah, but they're able all. to land Bob Greasy as their quarterback, who's kind of the cornerstone. And what's lucky for the Dolphins, though, is that in 1970, after a disappointing 1969 season and the Super Bowl upset of all upsets in Super Bowl three and 68, Don Shula has kind of fallen out of favor with Colts owner Carol Rosenblum. Now, there's conflicting things on whether or not, and Miami did have to pay restitution because their owner, Joe Robbie, was looking for an established coach. And he went after Shula and he ended up 
being able to get him. Shua said, I've had it in Baltimore. Let's start something new. And his first year, the year prior in 1970, the Dolphins made their first playoff appearance. Yeah. And they won their division in 1971. Well, I think it was interesting. Shula said the year before he came, they were 3-10. and 10. The year after he came, they were, I think they were like 10-3. 10, 10 yeah, or 10-4. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, I mean, the hallmark of, of him, which is one of the greatest coaches ever, and this turnaround of this franchise. You know? And it, it, um, just like Don Shula's teams pre-Dan Marino, this was a ground-and-pound-out type of offense. You had Jim Langer and uh, what's his name? Larry Little, Hall of Famers on the offensive line. Larry Little. I thought that was first off great name and just a great you oh, know, right. offensive lineman. So you can't even <laughs> deny him. And then uh, there are two backs at the time, uh, Jim Kick and uh, Hall of Famer Larry Zonka, Butch and Sundance. That's, those were their nicknames. Yep. And they have a young rookie and future cocaine person, Mercury Morris, who is their speedster. Um, returning kicks this year, but he'll later go on to team with Zaka for the first teammates to have a thousand yards rushing in a season. So, I mean, they have everything together. They had over 2,400 rush yards that season. But coming in, let me, let me say this because they were becoming a great team, but coming in, they were 0 and 6 to the Chiefs. So they had never beat them. Never beat them. And, what I heard some Dolphins say was they were almost in awe of the Chiefs because they were the the team in their division that had done stuff. So yeah. they had Super Bowl wins. They had playoff wins. They had, you know what I mean, a real great team. And when the Dolphins came into this game, they were not, not only were they not favored, they were not even like, you know. Which to me is crazy to think because while – you know, they are a running team. They had made some really savvy trades and additions like Howard Twilley at wide receiver and then Hall of Famer Paul Warfield, who played a very key role in this game. Yep. They had managed to trade for him from the Browns, where he was actually on their last championship team. And they traded a first-round pick in the top 10 so Cleveland could take Mike Phipps, who was kind of like a quarterback bust. Okay. And that's basically what they traded War to get Warfield to just be that down-the-field threat. And their defense had guys like Nick Bonacani, Hall of Famer. They were known as the no-name defense because a lot of these guys weren't stars. They just played very incredibly as a unit Yep. and really propelled them to future Super Bowls. Yeah, we see that they have this core group of guys that stay stay together and become a dynasty yeah definitely and the stage is set for probably one of the best games ever played yeah when you think about it that's why the uh the stadium sold out so quick because the football energy in this game was so high it was obviously it was going to be a great game i feel like oh totally yeah and you know both teams have the same record they're evenly matched and you know, you want to get right in? Right yeah, let's get into let's the first it. quarter. Yeah, know? so first quarter, Kansas City seems to be, you know, the Dolphins, I don't know if they're in awe of them, but Kansas City kind of takes an early lead and kind of takes control of the game. And that's always what I found weird about watching this was like they seem to have control all the time, but Miami just kind of kept hanging around. And they kept missing opportunities to make it like a real extended yeah, to lead. blow it out. Yes. Yeah, yes. just to kind of like get up on them and put their foot on their neck and, you know, but yeah. it didn't didn't work. You're right, though. In that first quarter, Kansas City looks like the better team. It looks like they're just kind of going to 
go on and win 21 10 or whatever whatever and then because they go up 10 nothing yeah they have a field goal by uh, Jan Stenerud um, who definitely is a major factor in this game yeah and uh, another major factor in the game and a nice little uh, dump off pass near the goal line and Mr. Ed Podolak goes in for a score yeah Podolak comes up huge later on and I mean, if you're if if you're playing this game, you could tell that everybody's going to get a shitload of whatever they're doing, tackles, yards, whatever. But yeah. he, I mean, Jesus, he man. ate that day. He played probably one of the best games by a single performer in postseason history. Yes, and a lot of that it was related to how the Dolphins defensively schemed against the Chiefs. Because what the Dolphins tried to do was bracket coverage and try and double the Chiefs' best wide receiver, who uh, Otis Taylor, okay. who we brought up in the uh, AFL episode about how their scouts kind of stole him from a hotel where the Cowboys were trying to keep yep, him. Yep. And Otis Taylor had over a thousand yards receiving that year. He was a hero of Super Bowl four with a touchdown catch. I mean, their most dominant player throughout that game because Miami keyed on him. He had only three catches for twelve yards. But what it allowed Stram, Hank Stram, the Chiefs coach, to do was say, okay, well, if you're going to do this, I'm going to run the ball a little bit more. I'm going to go to my other weapons like Elmo Wright, who had over 100 yards receiving in this game. I'm going to have swings, passes to Podolak, and sweeps to Podolak, and uh, all our other running backs. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah, it definitely worked. You could see they were just putting yards up like crazy. Yeah, especially Podolak. I'm going to point out now, uh, 350 combined rushing, receiving, kick, and punt return yards. Yeah, that's amazing. And And he he has some runs that later in the game where you're just like up oh, here the here Kansas City ghost for the win and, and then we'll see we'll talk about can, it can i just say it's awesome because this is maybe a couple years before the NFL instituted the um numbering rules as far as what position you play and what numbers you're allowed to wear. Oh, okay. So like guys like Ed Podolak or their he wore number 14, their running back. One of their running backs Warren McVay wore number 6. And that's uh, awesome. One of their defensive backs, uh, who's in the Hall of Fame, Emmett Thomas, wore 18. <laughs> I love so that. It's just so wild to watch these because you're like, okay, this is pre 1973, 74. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we talked about a little bit like that in the Johan Cruyff episode where he kind of broke the mold and, and uh, stopped wearing the normal numbers. I think that in football, it's a little bit more appropriate. Yeah. To be honest, though, because you're like, hold on, what what is that guy's position? Like, just to for the average, you know. Oh yeah, just to kind of identify it, and you know, if you're a lineman, you have to declare eligible on plays. Exactly. It's like number ninety three. It's like okay. Yes. <laughs> As opposed to like number seven, you're like number seven. What the fuck's the quarterback doing in here? Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's yeah. I like that though. That the, they're in this era that they were random numbers. You yeah. know. But uh, so Kansas City, like we said before, even though they're up 10-0, they have a chance to extend the lead on a couple of really great plays by Podolak. Yeah. And they're going in for a chip shot field goal to make it 13-0. to Well, this is the beginning of the second. Yeah, this is the second quarter. Yep. And on this play, which is very weird, Hank Stram wanted to run a fake field goal. Because the, uh, excuse me, because the Miami Dolphins were packing so much into the box and... Yeah. Pretty much saying, like, you're not going to run a fake mm-hmm. in the way that they were setting up their defense. And it was like, it's going to be wide open on the wing. And it was. Yeah. But the problem, Bobby Bell, who was their Hall of Fame linebacker and their long snapper, yep. Stenerud sold it so good, instead of snapping it to Stenerud, he snapped it to the holder, which was uh, Lenny Dawson, their quarterback. And 
Stenerud was like, oh shit, I got to kick this. And he ended up, you know, shanking it. it. Yeah, yeah he because he wasn't it. ready to, I bet he wasn't even like positioned to kick it right. He was ready to catch it and run. Yeah. You know? Oh, totally. And, and I it, love, I love the Dawson's reaction. He was like, you're supposed to hike it to Stenerud. And he was just like, he wasn't looking for the ball. And he was like, yeah, that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> that was the play. Yeah. And it was obvious. It was just the miscommunication and the lack of confidence in running that fake which i bet in that era i mean it, it was probably a pretty wild play oh yeah and what ends up happening is miami takes full advantage and even though they're a young team you cannot give a team that's young and talented any sort of confidence yep so they go right down the field and larry zonka ends up scoring a touchdown at the end of the drive and even though kansas city when they get the ball back later in the hat they're about to close it out and try and get some more points on the board. But Dawson throws an interception to Miami defensive back Curtis Johnson. Gives them more confidence. Gives them more confidence. Miami can't do anything on that drive, so they punt it back to Kansas City, and they turn it over again. Yep. And Miami's kicker, Garrow Yepremian, and we can talk about him in Stenerud after this, he ends up tying the game right at halftime. And it's just, you look at the scoreboard and you go, this should not be a tie football game. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yeah, how is this 10-10? It should be 17-3. You know what yeah, I mean? Sh- like At worst, it should be 13-7 or 13-0. Yeah, yeah. And that's why that, that's like what the hallmark of this game is, is Miami just keeps sticking around. Hanging around. Sticking around. And something... When you go back and watch this game, if any of you do, the kickers are so ridiculously important and they have so many plays yep. that are just like linchpin on the on the game. It's it's kind of ridiculous. No, it really is. And you know, everyone likes to make fun of kickers and punters and say that they're like they're not football players. Uh Pat McAfee would have to have a few words with you. Yes. But uh <laughs> yeah, it they're 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 still important and Granted, if you're a coach, you want your game to come down to your quarterback or your dominant defense and not your kicker, but these things happen. That's why it's an any given Sunday type of situation. You yeah. Know? And that's why you can't just have anybody back there. And well, and the cool thing about Stenerud and Yepremian was they're both soccer style kickers. Yep. They're both not from America. Stenerud was a ski jumper in Norway. I was going to say, he, when you think of kickers, you don't think of him. He's like a 6'3", real athlete. Yeah. You think, you know what I mean? Like, But he um, is was the first kicker, the first only position kicker, meaning he's not like Lou Groza, who was a lineman that just happened to kick. That happened to kick. He was the first one inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, kicked three important field goals in Super Bowl four. I was going to say, this is the one like black mark on his career is this game. It, it really is. Is because he was so solid throughout. I mean, for, and we'll get and into it. And he kicked forever. For as I was going to say forever. I, I, I think he played for 22 years. Yeah. And then Yepremian is a soccer player and he's very small. He's from a soccer player from Cyprus. Yep. Actually. And that year, Yepremian uh, had some good, NFL seasons, although he's most notable for the following year's Super Bowl, where the Dolphins were going to kick a field goal to go up 17-0, to close the game in a 17-0 season, and... Shanks it. Well, the kick was blocked. Oh, okay. He picked the ball up, 
and he tried to throw it, but he had like small hands apparently. Like, you know, like Austin Powers is like, Connie's scare me. Yes. You know, circus folks smell like cabbage. Very small hands. But he can't throw it, so it pops up in the air, and Mike Bass returns it for a touchdown. Obviously, Miami still wins, but, like, if you're looking for a quintessential NFL folly, yeah, that's... it's Garo Yapremi, and despite being a really good kicker. And that season, Stenerud had made the Pro Bowl and not Yapremian, although the writers named Yapremian All-Pro as well. Well, Yupremian had the most points that year. He did. But yeah. I think Stenerud was looked at as the better overall kicker throughout mm. his career. So it was like, well, why wouldn't we just put him in the Pro Bowl? Kind of, kind of, you know what I mean? It's like the, it's like the Major League Baseball with their all-star game. It's like, I'll vote for the guy that I know. Yes. Not this other guy. Who's having a better season. Yeah. We're in aqua uniforms. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was interesting that Yupremian was a, was a tie salesman. A yeah. lot of these guys had day jobs at this at this point. Oh, that was something that most Dick Anderson, who had a fantastic career and got a fumble in the second um, right before halftime, the one that got it, um, he sold insurance. He yeah. was like an insurance salesman, very successful. He was talking about. I saw a great interview with him. He had a, an old like rotary phone in the back of his car, like a precursor to a cell phone, yeah. so he could do like deals. Guys were truck drivers. Guys were wrestlers in the off season. I mean. Worked in the Ford factory. I thought that was yeah. a bunch of guys, you know, just just literally because football they for the love of the game. Exactly. Or guys like Len Dawson, who were very charismatic. He got into sports broadcasting. Um, he did it first locally in Kansas City, and then later for I believe um, CBS or HBO, one of them. But yeah, he had a long career doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so but, that's halftime. Ten. So that's halftime. Sorry to go on. A, this no, that's a, a perfect uh, halftime but, uh, tangent right there. Can we get beers in here, please? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, after halftime, uh, Kansas City gets a great kick return, one of many in this game from Podolak. I was going to say, he had like three or four great returns. Like, I, I love Podolak as a player, and he fits so well for Stram and the Chiefs because he was like a Swiss Army Knife guy. Oh, yeah. He could kind of do like a little bit of everything, not like great or elite, but he could just get the job done in so many ways. And this was the one day it was all put together and everything was done on really an elite level. Yeah, for so, an hour and a half. <laughs> and But what ends up happening is they get... Um, what ends up happening is they get the ball and they have a 10-minute drive to start the half. Yeah. And they get all the way down to the goal line and they end up scoring on a touchdown run by their big back, Jim Otis. Him, uh, Podolak and Wendell Hayes had a hell of a day running the ball for Kansas City because, as I said before, they took Otis Taylor away. Miami just said, that guy's not going to beat us. Yeah, if you want to beat us, it's going to be one of your other weapons. And to Stram's credit and to Dawson's credit okay? calling the game, they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, we get it. Like, just Otis, decoy today, buddy. I'm sorry. Well, at the end of this 10-minute drive, I feel like the feeling in the stadium was, here Kansas City goes. This isn't going to be the way the first half went. Like, they're going to get the ball again right away. Yeah. They're going to score again right away. Get three and out, get the ball back. Exactly. That type of, that type because of they, they controlled the ball for so long right at the beginning of that second half that you're just like, here we go. Yeah, right. So oh, totally. That's not what happened. But no, it's not, it's <laughs> not what happened because Miami, to their credit, throughout this game, every time it looked like momentum is swinging Kansas City's way, Miami gets it right back Yeah, because they get the ball and they end up scoring. They end up having kick run in for a touchdown to tie it at 17. And, you know, everything is kind of 
up in the air once again. And now the teams are committing more turnovers. And to Bob Greasy's credit in this game, he's playing with a shot left shoulder. While I thought it's not his throwing shoulder. Having any injury like that debilitates you because you still need it to play football. And this was back when quarterbacks would get rocked after a pass. Oh, so you yeah. could see it almost every time he would get rocked and he would just like baby this left arm and yeah. then get up and you'd just be like, that must hurt so much. But that's the football of that era. And like, you could you could essentially assault a quarterback yes. seconds after he threw it too. Yeah, you know? seriously. So I'm just saying, like he was getting hit a shit ton, and you could see his left shoulder was done. But he, like he, I think he even said this. He was just like, I could still throw it. My right shoulder was working. I wasn't going to come out of the game. And it yeah. was just like, yeah, that's football of that era. Well, that's why he's a Hall of Fame player. Came yeah. up in big moments for his team. <laughs> but uh, Kansas City, though, you yeah. know, fourth quarter, they get that ball back, and uh, Mr. Podolak comes into play again. Another great. Uh, it, it's so interesting because in the fourth, I think he has two of the his best runs. Yeah, and he then does. in overtime, he has a couple of good ones. But he pretty much put like the Kansas City on his shoulders for these runs and being like, "Hey, we're winning this game." Yeah. And damn right he did because he put him up again 24-17. Yep. And you're thinking, once again, all right, these veterans, they're going to hold off these young cats. Yep. And didn't, didn't no. go down like that. Yeah, Miami came back. I don't think on the next um, – was it on the next? Uh, no, I think it was a later possession. Yeah, I think it was a later possession, but they end up tying it 24-24. Towards the end of the game. There was so a, about four, four minutes left, yeah. something like that, five minutes. And Miami – Greasy in an incredible play near the goal line because they really tried to take away, um, obviously, Warfield, but Warfield had over 100 yards, and he was beating Emmett Thomas, who's a great cornerback for a lot of them, and you know, finding holes on the deep posts and in the seam and stuff. But they come right back down near the goal line, and they try and take away Warfield and Twilly, their other wide receiver, Yep, and... Greasy kind of rolls out and buys some time, and he finds his uh, tight end, Marv Fleming, just standing there, standing there in the end zone, just, here you go. Yep. And they tie the game. They tie it at 24. And everybody's, I'm sure everybody in that crowd, even though obviously it's they're probably all pulling for Kansas City, they're just like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, what do we have to do? Yeah, like to put these guys down and... Kansas City gets the ball back, and they have a chance to win in regulation. And Podolak comes through again. I was going to say, he takes it to, like, I think the 46 or 45. Yeah, on the kick or, return. Because yeah. Yepremian had tried to kick it away from him, yeah. and they get it back to him, and then he just shoots up there. Yep. Or No, 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 that, that was the overtime. But, yeah, he had another great return. But, yeah. And Kansas City keeps moving the ball, inching it down there. A great screen pass to Podolak puts him in Miami territory. And Kansas City's essentially trying to run out the clock and win the game. Well, this is what Greasy said was because let me go back. So there was oh, yeah. a there was a minute thirty left, and Podolak took it to the twenty two. Yeah, he took it to the you know. So they were pretty much just like, well, we're just gonna run a couple of running plays and kick it in and win. Stenerud's gonna come Stenerud's, through like yeah. he has so many times before. And when Stenerud's going up to kick it, Greasy literally says out loud, "This is over," <laughs> and people are like, "Up." Oh, all right, like all dejected, all dejected because they know how clutch he is in these in these situations. And Stenerud comes up 
and shanks it right. Yep, he wide right Finkel. And it's so interesting because they asked Denarud about this, and he's like, I still don't understand how I missed that. It was a perfect (laughs) hold. I felt like it was a perfect kick, and the ball just went right. And he just, he can't, he says he can't explain it and he has nightmares about it. So, yeah. And for whatever reason, he misses and Miami gets the ball back. They can't really do anything with it. And they have to punt it back to Kansas City, but time already expired. Yeah. So we go to overtime. And this is when the NFL's sudden death overtime rules were in play. And Miami loses the coin toss and has to kick off. Uh, kicked it off to Podolak. It was like, this is the one where it was like a yeah. short kick because they just wanted to get it away from him. And then him. they get it back to him, yeah. yeah. And, and he, puts him in great field position again. Yes, I think it's a 42-yarder. Yeah. And Stenerud comes up and misses it again. And I But bet- it was... The, they end up getting, yeah, a good field position, and Stenerud has a chance to win it again. Yeah. But this one was blocked by uh, Nick Bonacani. Yeah. So I can't really fault him for that one. No, you can't like really fault a block. Misses. Yeah, because... Yeah, that's your blocking up front, or that's a guy making just an incredible play yes. or a combination of both. And you're still tied at 24. You're still tied. It's getting dark. Everybody is going crazy. Like <laughs> It's Christmas Day. Yeah. They want that Christmas turkey or ham or whatever. Yeah. However you get your Christmas on. How many wives do you think were pissed that day? Oh, like, so with many. Like, waiting. Yeah, just waiting. Like they've prepared food all day and cleaned like, the house. I'll be home at 6.30. The game's going to be done at 6. It'll mm-hmm. be a little bit of traffic. We'll be home. 6.30, it's like the beginning of the second overtime. You're just like, uh, or I mean, in the middle of the first overtime, you're just like, my wife's gonna oh, kill me. Yeah, like oh, her God. parents are there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. And all they're doing is shit talking you, and yeah. you can't be like, "Well, I'm pissed, but this is one of the greatest games ever played." <laughs> I told you to marry that Johnny boy. Yeah. Right. Like, Damn it. <laughs> so anyway, the first uh, overtime comes to an end. That was the big uh, miss. Yeah, and uh, I believe you premium had missed in the oh, overtime yeah. too. Yeah, you premium missed one too. So no. Nobody wants to win this game, apparently. Yeah. Uh, by the way things are going, I mean, obviously they do, but just it's you go to second overtime, and this is the first uh, second overtime game in NFL history. Yeah. There have been ones later that have happened. There have been ones that have gone pretty goddamn long, but this is the longest. This is the longest. Yeah. A mm-hmm. uh, quick little fact, little little factoid: the game that this beat out as the longest game was the uh, 62 Houston Oilers and the Dallas, Dallas Texans. Texans. Yeah, th- that was now, the uh, Abner-Hayes game. Who was the winning coach? Hank Stram. Hank Stram. And there you go. Lenny Dawson was his quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> I love that little spider web. So, and yeah. we'll get back into who loses this one. But it's like... Oh, I think that one went two overtimes, too. I misspoke. Really? Yeah, I think okay. that one did go double overtime. I know so, that yeah. one went like uh, 10 minutes shy, so it could have. Yeah, the... Um, what was it? But the field conditions and the weather in uh, at that stadium that day was horrendous. Yes. Like there had been like a hurricane recently and it just completely crapped out everything and the wind was blowing. That's why Hayes didn't, on the coin toss, didn't, they didn't receive. Yeah. And they were pissed at him, but he even picked the wrong end of the field to that, defend. Yeah, that was the big thing is he picked the wrong end of the field. Yeah. Well, we'll get back into this uh, 71 Christmas game. The uh, field conditions on this one was pretty rough. It was... Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is kind of the way that football was, was just kind of like a muddy 
And this is old Cleveland, I think it's or not Cleveland, Kansas City's municipal stadium. Yep. I mean, this is pre Arrowhead. Well, this is let's talk about this. This is the last game in municipal stadium, and yeah. then uh, the first game in Arrowhead, the Dolphins come and beat them twenty ten. So oh, it's wow. pretty. It's pretty brutal. But that's that's just so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but the the muddy situation they were talking about, like it being getting worse and worse as the game went on because the field just kept getting torn up and torn up and. I can't imagine playing in that second overtime because now we get into this second overtime. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, they, in overtime, when the first one ends, you just play it like a next quarter. Yeah. So the team keeps the ball, same field position. You just change ends of the field. And it's getting pretty long. And it's getting to be, is this going to be a third overtime game? Yeah. Well, Podolak takes a pretty hard hit and the guy uh, and the dolphins jams him into the mud mm. and he thinks he's going to get up and you know be like what the hell what the and he gets up and he just looks at him and goes when's this game gonna end <laughs> like that's his reaction not like you know he's just like this shit needs to be over somebody save us please yes <laughs> i bet it's getting cold i bet it, everybody's hungry there was one dolphin who said he lost like 15 pounds on the game he tried to put his pants on when oh, they were leaving no. and yeah because they just like that's how hard they were working out there for that long yeah for for that extended period of time but uh miami ends up putting a nice little drive together yeah they put a nice little drive together and they end up finally getting into field goal range for the guy that wasn't named to the pro bowl and he said he missed that one in the first overtime he was not gonna miss yeah. this one which i mean you got to give it up to... I they would have like, kicked his ass. Yes, that was exactly what I was thinking. He was like 5'8", and there are these... Oh, he was like 5'5". Five, five. Yeah, there are these 6'3", 300-pound yeah. guys just like, no, 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 you're putting that in between. If you don't make this, you're finished. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Dolphins go up 27-24 to go and, on to win. And win, end up winning the marathon game of marathon games. Yeah. And but, what's interesting about this game, though, is and we had talked about it previously, is both franchises take completely different paths into the future. Yes. And in Miami's case, not only do they win that game, they go and beat Baltimore in the AFC Championship game, Shula's old team. They clobber them. Granted, they lose the, the following Super Bowl to the Cowboys, but... You know, Dallas was just a better team, a more experienced team than them. But they used this as complete and total fuel to win the next two years' Super Bowls, including the following season being the only undefeated team in NFL history. Yeah, this is in that era. Yeah, you see, it's it's really interesting. Uh, after this game, you see one franchise go up and the other franchise go down, and you haven't seen the Chiefs come back since Patrick Mahomes. Honestly, it was like forty-five years of just. And it's not like they ever came like close either. No, Granted, I think under Schottenheimer, they had teams that should have gone and lost in bizarre ways yeah. in the divisional round. And even the AFC Championship game when they had Montana in 93. But when you look at 71 to when Schottenheimer comes, I think in 89 or 90, oh man, brutal. Yeah. They couldn't do anything. And they had some not only talented players, but they had Marv Levy as a coach for an extended period of time. They had uh, Bill Polian running some of their uh, front office stuff. And then in 83, coming back into the Dolphins kind of spider web, yeah. they could have drafted Dan Marino I know. and they drafted Todd Blackledge. 
who had a very underwhelming career with the Chiefs and uh, later Steelers. So they uh, they walked a pretty dark path post this game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy because they they had to rebuild. They had the gang back for one more run at it all, and it just completely napalmed. Yeah, and, and it then, completely blew up Mahomes, in their faces. Yeah. You know, and, well, they're the reigning Super Bowl champions now. Yeah, so. well, thinking about their last game in the stadium, if they had won. Oh, man. And then went on to this new stadium, I bet it really would have propelled them. But they literally lost to the Dolphins in this old stadium. Yeah. And people are, like, kind of bitter. New stadium, lost to the Dolphins. And they're just like, shit. Like, I bet that really gets the into the culture. Of, yeah. And how, God, how great would it have been, though? If that year, if the Chiefs pull that game out, if they beat Baltimore the next week, who were the 1970 reigning Super Bowl champions, yep. if the Chiefs and Cowboys played in a Super Bowl, that the would've... two old Dallas teams that would have been built up, it would have been awesome. Yeah. That's just not the way not that today. Santa, No, he put Kansas City on the naughty list and gave them coal. Thank he... you all very much and a Merry Christmas from the Sports Experience Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to that podcast. This is just a stock message at the end of all of our podcasts, so we hope you enjoy. You listen to whatever athlete that was. Give us a follow at the Sports Experience Podcast on Instagram. Also, myself at Sequin Comedy on Instagram. Also, Totola Dominic on Instagram. Just follow us all around. If you have any suggestions for any athletes you want us to do, shoot us an email at the Sports Experience Podcast at gmail.com. And we always are recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much.